if somebody is born again of God's Spirit, they have within them the desire that God has placed within them because of that Spirit, and that is to develop into that fullness, that full completion of the work of Christ. That each one of us within has a desire to walk in the fullness of what Christ accomplished for us. Now, it might be shrouded over pretty thickly. It might uh, uh, not come to our mind so readily, but God has put this desire within us. And God who put this gift of Holy Spirit in us is the same God who said that we are completely complete in Christ, that we're lacking nothing in Him. It's the same God who said His Word will do its mighty work in our lives if we'll only let it in. It's the same God who was behind this verse in Titus chapter 1. See in verse 2. It says, In hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago. So God had promised long ages ago eternal life. And He is a God who cannot what? God cannot lie. So if God says something is true, then it's true. So he tells us truths in his word that seem too good to be true. But yet they are true because he's a God who cannot what? He cannot lie. It's against his whole nature, his whole character to lie. So if God says that you are holy and beloved in his sight, then that has to be a disregard of what you have done, what you are doing, and what you're going to do. (laughs) Because we screw things up. But he says we're holy and beloved in his sight. We're his beloved in his sight. He loves us with an intense love more than we realize. And we're holy before him. We're a holy people. We're called saints. He says this, which might seem too good to be true, but this message comes from a God who cannot what? So if he cannot lie and he says you're holy and without blame, then that is it. If he says he's redeemed us from sin, but we don't see the results of that in completion right now or in regarding a certain situation that we're in, does our experience then make God's truth a lie? No, No, it does not, does it? (laughs) Truth is truth. It's just, it's what it is. You know, it's that same old story, you know, uh, three times three is, Hannah? Nine, very good. Three times three is nine. (laughs) Okay, so if I get so convinced that three times three is ten, that I voice it with a confidence, does that make three times three ten? Okay, how about if I am just a salesman of salesmen and I convince all of you that three times three is ten. Does that make three times three ten? Okay, then we all are the best of salesmen and because of our voice, the whole world believes that three times three is ten. Does it change the truth? You know, how about if we take oranges and we show people that three times three is ten by these oranges. We're somehow able to do that. Even by that experience, does it change the reality that 3 times 3 is 9? No matter what we do or don't do, 
it does not affect the reality, the truth, that three times three is nine. God says you're holy and without blame before him. He says that he loves you all the time. He says that he doesn't view you in light of your flesh. He sees you in light of what his son has done in your behalf and made you to be. He doesn't see you according to your mistakes. He sees you according to the perfect work of his son. So he calls you perfect. Like in Hebrews uh, chapter 10, verse 14. He says you're perfect. That means without flaw. Now, if we say, oh, you know, God, when God blinks, he blinks really long because what I have done several times makes me to where I'm not perfect. Now, we might say, oh, that's ridiculous because we know the doctrine says that we're perfect in Christ. But actually, how do we feel when we've done something wrong? Do we feel perfect? How we feel, does that change the truth? I really feel strongly that three times three is ten. I mean really strongly. (laughs) Does that change the truth? See, when God says something is true, it's true. He is a God who cannot lie. So when he says something, then that's it, right? So with this, with this, go to 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to pick this up. This is Peter's last letter that we know of to the church because in this letter he says in chapter 1 verse 14 that he's going to die. Uh, and then at the end of the letter, he says, tells the believers to, ref, he refers them back to the epistles given to Paul, given by Paul to the church. So in this letter, he starts in verse 1 of chapter 1, 2 Peter 1.1. 1, 1, says, Simon Peter, that's who sent it, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. That's who he is, who he's been made to be through Jesus Christ. Two, who's it to? to those who have received a faith of the same kind, a faith of the same kind, a faith of the same value. Anybody that's believed this faith of Jesus Christ, they believed on him, they've received that faith, has received this faith of the same kind or same value. That's who it's to. A faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. So grace and peace is multiplied to you as you just follow the feelings of the Spirit. Follow your emotions. Follow what the world says. There's one way, according to this, that you have this grace and peace multiplied to you, and it's through the knowledge. As amazing as that might sound... (laughs) It's the knowledge that develops in us this multiplication of grace and peace. It's the knowledge of God's Word. Interesting, isn't it? How far will that go? It's fun. Verse 3, Seeing that His divine power, now His divine power, has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. Okay, let's look at this verse 3 again. It says, Seeing, now we're talking about this uh, grace and peace being multiplied to you through the knowledge, and the knowledge of God. Verse 3, seeing that his divine power has granted, given to us, 
everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him. So it's through this knowledge of God, this true knowledge of God, that we have everything pertaining to life and godliness. Through His divine power, He has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. So we shouldn't be looking elsewhere for things pertaining to life and godliness if this verse is true. If verse 1 is true. If verse 3 is true. We shouldn't be looking in other places for more aspects of life and godliness. It must be in the knowledge of Him. That's what it says here, right? He's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Everything. So, if we're going on a trip from here to Chicago, and we've packed the car with everything we need, do we need anything else? Well, if God, by His divine power, has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness in this knowledge, then are we lacking anything for life and godliness? It's got to be where? In the knowledge. It has to be in the knowledge. And He's called us to His own glory and excellence. In the context of this knowledge of God, He has called us to His own glory and excellence. He's called us into His realm. We talked last Friday, which was only four days ago, (laughs) we talked about how we receive this new life in Christ, right? Where in the first birth, we entered into existence, okay? In this existence of the first birth, we began learning from day one, right? The air is cold, the air is warm, you know? Uh, I'm hungry, I'm not hungry. All this information starts building in this category of this life that's mortal. A person starts learning more and more in this life that they live. Somebody gets born again, however long later, and now they begin to learn of a new kind of existence, a new kind of life, a life where everything is new in Christ. It's a whole new life. This new life is this calling of God to His glory and excellence, a calling and an invitation of us into His realm. Why am I emphasizing this so much? Because most of us still think that God is here. He sent His Son so that He can, uh, can come down into our realm and help us where we're at. Where in fact, He has invited us and replaced us, relocated us, into His realm where He is at, where everything is brand new. It's not that He set this up to help us in our endeavors. He set this whole arrangement up so that we can enter into Him and His endeavors. Can we do that via the knowledge? Well, in what we're reading, we've entered into this by way of the new birth, receiving this new life, this new existence, then learning, growing up in this. Okay, growing up in it. Then we see here, like you said, according to the knowledge, He has invited us into His realm, you know, His glory and His excellence. See, right, the end of verse 3? He's invited us into His realm. Why is this such a big deal? Now, it might be, it might be that this is very foreign to us. Right? If you were relocated into a country, you know, like you fell asleep, 
You woke up in the middle of this country. You didn't know any person. You didn't know the language. You really didn't have an identity there. You weren't a citizen. Nobody knew you. You knew nobody. You knew nothing. You didn't know what these things they were eating. You didn't know what they were, you know, their vehicles they were getting around on. You knew nothing. You were, it was totally foreign to you. Would you feel a little awkward? Would you kind of get homesick? Well, people kind of feel homesick for the realm of the flesh because they think that's their home. When in actuality, our real home is reality in Christ. If we'll only learn this knowledge, take the time to adapt to our new realm, our new home, reality in Christ, our new life, where we have been invited into God's own glory and excellence. His own glory and excellence. He's invited us into that realm. If this is appealing to you like it is to me, (laughs) this is where every problem is resolved in the realm of God, in His glory and His excellence. This is where a person is a partner with God. How could you lack anything if you are in partnership with the Creator of the heavens and the earth? How could you lack anything? You, it's impossible. It's like, uh, you know, the story that I heard years ago where this guy was really needing money to, to get into this program, and he bought this car from this person, and, uh, you know, on the, on the road, he bought this car from this person from some low amount, $500 or something. He found $10,000 worth of dimes and quarters in the trunk and had no way to get a hold of this person, had no contact with them whatsoever. Bought it cash, no title, nothing with the car. Could have been a stolen car for all he knew. But he had $10,000 with the coins in the back. So, you know, to make the story short, you know, he, uh, there was no home for this, these coins, no home for this car. It was all his. There was no trail leading anywhere. You know, it wasn't stolen from anywhere. They could get a report on nothing. So they just said, it's yours. You know, it's yours. So, and the car was legit. You know, it had a few titles on it, but it was legit. So he just kept the car with all the money. Really cool. And I'm reminded that the largest diamond ever found in the United States was found by somebody playing a game of horseshoes. They overshot. God is God. Nobody's lacking in the realm of God. And we're just talking a couple physical things just to line some physical things up. But what about, you know, when you're lacking love, you're lacking uh, placement in your heart, you know, um, with anybody, Um, you're feeling unwanted, you know, unnecessary. All this is resolved in Christ. It's all resolved in Christ. We see our fulfillment in partnership with God. God, through His knowledge, invites us to His own glory and excellence. Through the knowledge. Through the knowledge. What else does it say? Look at verse 4. For by these, or through which, or whereby, is the way this should read, whereby, referring to the knowledge of Him, you know, all things that pertain to life and godliness and the knowledge of Him, whereby, by this, He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises. Well, aren't they found in God's Word? These precious and magnificent promises. This word promises means declarations, by the way just means, you know, what has been said or stated. It's a declaration. It's literally what it means. So God has declared that you are free from sin. 
God has declared that you are in His Son, Jesus Christ. God has declared that you are completely complete in Christ. God has declared that you are in this wonderful family of His now and forever. He has declared that the person that's sitting across the room for you is your brother in Christ now and forever. He has declared these truths. You're holy and without blame, completely redeemed from sin. By these declarations, see, by these, He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises so that by them, by these precious and magnificent promises, these declarations, by them, by them, do you see that? That by them, you may become partakers, sharers, of the divine nature. Do you know what the divine nature is? God's nature. Could you imagine you get to be a sharer, sharer, partaker in God's nature? Well, verse 3 said He's invited us, called us into His glory and excellence. He's invited us into His realm to partake of His nature. What goes on when a person gets born again? Well, they're born again, and that, that begins a process. A process whereby they are to be developed by these promises, these declarations of truth that develop their character into the very nature of God Himself. Do you see that? That God has invited us into His glory, His excellence, that by the knowledge of His Word, we are partakers of His nature. This is what I saw lacking in this courthouse this morning and all day. I saw people, you know, when they called people into line, people jumped into line to be first. You know, when there's a, a nicer chair to be had, you know, a better seat, I saw people rushing in to get those better seats. It's very interesting. You know, uh, uh, when somebody's giving instructions uh, up front, things we need to know, like you know how to get out of the building if there's an emergency, things like that. People were reading their newspapers. They were on their cell phones. I'm thinking, wow, just in respect for, for people, I would never do that. But I would have years ago. But God has, cha- has changed and is changing my character as well as yours. See, to be concerned about people to be concerned. You know what it says? It says in Psalms that the righteous are even concerned about the beasts of the field. I mean, talk about changing our character. You know, <laughs> God has so, is so changing us from within. See, to be more and more like Him. How? Through the knowledge It's through the knowledge. It's not through joining the right church. You can't get screwed up from this by joining the wrong church unless that church isn't feeding you this knowledge and they're feeding you something else. You can't be better off in being a partaker of this divine nature by joining the right church unless that church is feeding you the right information, the knowledge which takes you into uh, the realm of God takes you into what Christ has accomplished, these divine promises. See, all things that pertain to life and godliness. If the information, look, uh, I don't know, this could immensely help you, it might not. 
If you're considering about taking part in an event, you know, a meeting here, a weekend in the Word, uh, some special event, you're thinking about it, um, how, uh, how you might gauge how you should go? Well, think, am I going to be fed things that pertain to life and godliness? Or am I going to be told what I should do, shouldn't do, how to be a better Christian, you know, instead of what God has done in Christ? These declarations, just declarations, telling us what's truth, telling us what's reality in Christ. See? If it's going to help us along those lines, I would highly recommend taking part in that. You know, if that's what God wants you to do. But at least it'd be a consideration. But if something's not going to feed you along the lines of the true knowledge of God, the knowledge of God's very character, His nature, what He's done through Christ. In other words, the things that pertain to life and godliness from that verse. These are the things that will take us into a development, a character development into the very nature of God. I mean, if the Bible didn't say this, you know, (laughs) if I was you, I'd start throwing rocks at me. Because this is really out there. It's really out there. Think about you being developed into the very character of God. Where when somebody watches you do something, watches how you handle something, they are seeing the character of God handle that situation. The character of God and what God would have said coming out of your mouth. How could that even develop like that? How could you develop into the very character, the nature of God? Because His Word is His power. See, His divine power has given unto us everything that pertains to life and godliness in the knowledge of Him. This, being the power of God, has the ability to transform us into its very image, which the image of the Word is the image of whoever sent the Word. If God is the originator of the message of what His plan and purpose was in Christ, then that this message of His plan and purpose in Christ would develop us into His very character. That's what He set up in Christ. He set it up that you and I would develop into His very nature here upon earth. And that, to me, is mind-boggling. That, to me, is a privilege above all privileges. You know, uh, it's just really wonderful. Look at 2 Corinthians 3. Look at this. This is a familiar verse to some of you. 2 Corinthians 3. Yes. Sounds familiar. Yeah. <laughs> Could be very familiar here. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 3. See in verse 18. <coughs> but we all, speaking of those who have believed on Jesus Christ, see who this letter is written to, but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, changed, into the same image as what? The glory of the Lord. See, as we're beholding that, looking at these promises, thinking about these promises, these declarations God has made, what is true in Christ, it transforms us, changes us into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. See, it's the power of God in His Word 
the power of this gift of the Holy Spirit within that changes us into the very image of God. But if we abandon the knowledge that takes us there, you are abandoning God's process for your development. Don't make a mistake as thousands upon thousands of us have. It's the knowledge of God that develops us into the very nature of God. Here again, it says, as we're beholding the glory of the Lord. In this context, it's the new covenant. Mm -hmm. The new covenant. See, what God has planned and purposed in Christ. As we're beholding that, it changes us into the same image. The same image of what Christ placed us in. Wow. Okay, you're seated in the heavenlies. Do you know what that means? It means that you're positioned in a governmental position of authority. That's what that seated means. You know, like you have the governor's seat, which, you know, uh, Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger sits in right now. He can call the shots as the governor. Whatever he's been empowered with as the governor, he can take advantage of and do because he's been empowered with that seat of authority. Like he could, you know, claim some natural disaster in San Francisco or something. If something happens and give, you know, millions of dollars to San Francisco, to the city of San Francisco, to rebuild or do whatever they need to do. Why? Because he's the governor. Could he do that before he was governor? He could have sent beg letters and couldn't have got the job done. Now all he has to do is say it, and it comes comes to pass, because he has the authority to do so. You are seated in the heavenlies with Christ. God is developing us into his character, his nature, as we behold this knowledge, the glory of the Lord, He's developing us into that. What does that mean? Well, that truth that just sits there as truth, dormant truth, potential power, that you are seated in the heavenlies with Christ becomes activated power when you actually believe it. When do we believe it? When we submit to its reality. When we obey it, we submit to it, we accept it as true. It's a truth that is so true to us. We're so convinced. You know when truth is true to you? When you don't have to think about it anymore, it's automatically the way you think. You know what's true to you? Your gender. Right? You go to a public restroom area. You don't question whether you're going to walk in the men's or the women's, do you? You are so convinced. You believe it. That's what this is getting at. When we are so convinced of the truth that we naturally think that way, then we see the power of God that's potential in this word become activated and live in your life and mine. This is what God is doing by way of His knowledge. He's developing the Word, His knowledge into us so that we can get developed by it and show forth His very character. He's looking for replications here upon earth. That's what He's looking for. People that are willing to submit to the knowledge of life and godliness as we saw so that they can be developed by that knowledge. See, here it says, be transformed into the same image, the same image as the glory of the Lord. People say, well, what's that image? Well, look at chapter 4, verse 4. In the context, look what it says. Well, verse 3 says, and if our gospel is veiled, it's hidden. It is veiled or hidden to those who are perishing. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. See, the glory of Christ who or which is the image of God. This is in context the glory of the Lord, the image that we're transformed into. 
See, the image of God, the glory of Christ. This is what we're transformed into. You become the very image of God, the glory of Christ, by looking at this word. How could that be? That just doesn't make sense. You know what? It doesn't make sense to a two-year-old that three times three is nine. You ask any two-year-old to explain why three times three is nine, and you will baffle a two-year-old. Why? Because of their immaturity. Our problem is we're immature spiritually. This isn't yet really truth. So how do we mature? We've been looking at it. Knowledge. Yeah, the knowledge is building the knowledge, building and building. It's not just gathering the information. That's not what this is saying. Do you know what to believe it means? Uh, what does to believe it mean? Look, look, look what God taught me just recently. I'll show you this. Look at this. Look at uh, John chapter 3. This really blessed me. John 3, it clarified something about believing. So we say, oh, I believe these truths, meaning I have the head knowledge of them. I have this information. I know I'm seated in the heavenlies. I can quote it to you. Maybe I can even tell you what verse it's in in the Bible. But the question isn't, do you have that knowledge? The question is, does that knowledge have you? The question is, do you believe that knowledge? Is it so a part of you that you don't question it? You don't think in regards to, well, what's this really mean? You really know what it means. You so know what it means that it's your heartbeat. You so think that way that you never even question it or act contrary to it. It's so a part of you. What's this mean? That you believe it. Believing equals obedience. Obedience, it's a compound word. It means to submit to what you hear. So you put yourself under what you hear. You know, uh, if you obey a police officer standing at your door saying, open up the door in the name of the law, then If you believe he's a a police officer, you'll obey him. If you obey him, you'll believe he's a police officer. See, in uh, chapter 3 of John, see verse 36, Jesus Christ said, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life. He who believes has life, but he who does not obey the Son doesn't have the life. So if you believe, you have the life. If you obey, you have the life. Do you see that? Again, verse 36, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life. So if you obey, you're going to believe, according to that verse. I've looked for this for years. God gave it to me today. <laughs> I knew believing equaled obedience in some way, but I never saw it from the scriptures till today. And God just keeps showing us and teaching us and showing us and teaching us what the, how this thing fits together. But believing is obedience. And there it is in one verse. And I knew it was somewhere, but I just couldn't find it. So God, if we're going to believe His Word or say we believe His Word, then we submit to what we hear. It actually becomes a part of us. You walk like one who's seated in the heavenlies. You walk like one who's a son of God. How do you get to that point? You don't just, you know, come out of the womb as a child and start walking in the next 15 minutes, right? There's a development that has to take place physically. Same thing spiritually. The same thing spiritually. See, we're going to see the realities of the gospel. 
to the degree we submit to and believe that this knowledge is going to take us there and allow it to do so, to that degree we will see the manifestations of what we read in the scriptures. It's exciting to think that, we, that what's available is what happened in the book of Acts. But that's not the ceiling on this. What's seen in the book of Acts is only an example of some of the times they've walked with the power of God, that they submitted to the realities, and it developed then to the point they walked in it and saw results. But that's not the ceiling on this. It can't be. Because <clears throat> we're talking about, it says that it's the same power that created the heavens and the earth. Same power that raises people from the dead. That same power. That's the power that's latent within the gospel message. So it's the knowledge that develops us into the character of God here upon earth. His very image, His likeness. You know, and again, uh, you know, just a couple points that come to mind uh, in closing here. But, uh, you know, people, it was fun. You know, having kids just really teaches you a lot. We were driving somewhere. I remember it was on the 134 moving toward the 2 freeway because we were moving east. And the, the sun was down and up comes, you know, the full moon. And one of the kids said, look at how bright the moon is. And it started getting my wheels turning. The moon is not bright. The moon just reflects the light of the sun. God is light. We are called children of light. We reflect His light, but only to the degree that His light lives in us do we reflect the light. See, another thing that comes to mind is, you know, you take a, a cup like that glass right there that was uh, boiling water. You took that boiling water and you poured it in that cup. It's a cup of hot water, right? Then if you take a tea bag and put it in that hot water, eventually as that tea bag is left in there, that cup of hot water becomes a cup of tea. Because the qualities of the tea steeped into the water, and now that water took on the qualities of the tea, that which was allowed to sit in it to the point that its qualities, tea's qualities steeped into the water. That's exactly what happens with you and me as we allow these realities in Christ to sit in us, to really steep in us, and allow them into our lives. Don't resist them. You know, I know I'm righteous. Oh, you knucklehead, what did I say that for? Right? Why would I contradict what God's Word says? I'm not a knucklehead. God says I am righteous in His sight. Who am I to call Him a liar? See, allow those qualities to steep into your life. He says you're forgiven then what are you holding that thing against yourself for? Why are you holding that thing against yourself? As if you're not forgiven. God let it go, and He tells us to let it go, because we're forgiven in Christ. He says, come on, children, don't you believe my word? Oh, yeah, God, we have that knowledge. I've got that knowledge, I'm forgiven. I'll give you three verses, God. I've got this thing down. I've got it. I can quote it, and we walk around in condemnation and guilt. And uh, what's the other one? guilt and despair, whatever. There's many of them, but those are three because we really don't believe the truth. We haven't submitted to it. We have the knowledge, but the knowledge doesn't have us. See, it's not our life yet. Mm -hmm. And this is what Second Peter is talking about, where that knowledge gets so developed into us that we become, become. We, it doesn't say we are. We become partakers of His divine nature. 
a reflection of Him here upon earth. He's looking for willing parties. He's looking for somebody like the moon who will have the guts to face God and His light, look at Him long enough to where they will reflect Him here upon earth. See, to keep Him in our sights, keep what He's accomplished for us by His Son in our sights to where that, that knowledge develops us into the very image of Christ here upon earth. Who God is looking for is you. He's looking for you. People that are willing to accept His program. Not looking for a God who's to serve them, but looking for God in His ways to get so developed into them that they reflect God here upon earth. It's going to take effort. It's going to take time. Is it worth it? Just for the joy you'll bring to God's heart, that somebody submitting to his program is enough. But the fruit of the gospel is so immense that it is overwhelming when it's, when it's there, which is enough in and of itself. See, God has just so blessed us in Christ. He's looking for people that are willing to accept what he says is true to the point it develops them. 